just a simple man trying to make my way in the universe. Hey everybody, welcome back. Welcome back. Phil, how's it going? Oh, not too bad, not too bad. Cameron, how about you? Fantastic. I'm loving the cold weather here in the Midwest. <laughs> it is quite nice. <laughs> so, bringing you guys another episode. This week we're going to go uh, kind of like we did with the Grand Wizard battle. We're going to go a little out of the norms, start talking about some uh, super weapons from other science fiction fantasy realms. Planet killers, weapons created in scientific labs to completely annihilate ships, hosts of fleets, fleets, you know, you name eradication it. weapons. Exactly. Go ahead and kick us off. I'm going to go ahead and start by saying we're just going to go ahead and throw 40k out the window entirely because, well, let's face it, the 40k galaxy, the 30k galaxy, the 20k galaxy are basically just entirely super weapons designed to kill planets. This is Warhammer. Yes, yep. Warhammer 40k. Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, I'll just throw a few out there. You've got Exterminatus from the Empire. It's it's literally used, in my opinion, way too much. I love the universe. I love the Grim Dark. It is wonderful, but the um, the Empire can just roll up and literally vaporize a planet. So can the Eldar, the Dark Eldari. Uh, so can pretty much every species. There's even a species in Warhammer 40k that their entire shtick is they land on a planet, they kill everything, they turn it into biomass, suck it up onto their ships, including raw resources, and they use that biomass and raw resources to build their fleet and move on to another planet, leaving it a dead, lifeless husk. There's a ton of super weapons in that one, and that's why we're throwing it out, because while talking about all the super weapons and planet killers in forty in Warhammer 40k... Well, it's pretty much all of it is super it would, weapons. Oh, yeah, yeah, and it would just take four or five hours, and we just don't have time yeah. for that. And not to mention four to five hours reading it, but then digesting what you read. <laughs> no, 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 I'm talking about if we did all the research, it would take four or five hours of you and I talking about it. To get through most of them. Well. So let's just start off by kicking 40k to the side because there's no way we can cover that much ground. All right. Well, there you have it. No Warhammer. So I do love me some Warhammer, though. <laughs> do you want to Do you want to jump in or do you want me to jump in with, with where we should start? Well, I mean, it's... we're, we're going to be pulling from from all different universes that, that we're gonna are be appreciated pulling. in science fiction. Star Trek, Star Wars... Halo, Mass Effect. Yeah. And we threw the Warhammers out the window. But uh, let's go ahead and start with our bread and butter. Let's go ahead and start Star with Star Wars. Wars. Star Wars. Oh, man. I, this one, honestly, it seems kind of obvious, right? Super weapons, all oh, Death Star. Yeah, of course. But Two Death Stars, actually. Well, it, one of them was a planet killer. The other one, we never really got to see what its capabilities were, the second Death Star, because... We never saw its full potential, but uh, I guarantee you it was a planet killer. I mean, it blew up It blew up the Rebel sh- fleet ships, Yep. and it was able to fire multiple times, which tells me it's been upgraded. No, Because oh, yeah. the first Death Star had to recharge. A recharge rate. The second one, they were just firing it off like nobody's business. Oh, yeah. My favorite, and for a lot of the... Um, EU fans out there, the Starforge. Which isn't actually a planet killer. 
Not a planet killer, it's that, a super weapon. That is what it that's that's what's on the tin. It is a super weapon that uses a star to forge you an army. It literally it travels from system to system, parks next to a star, absorbs absorbs the plasma from the star. And then uses that to fuel the system, which is powered by dark side energy, because the Rakatans who created it tens of thousands the of years. The Infinite Empire. They created this, and the Rakatans were very dark side oriented. Yes, naturally, naturally, uh, so they were evolved on a dark side planet, and they they were naturally inclined to the dark side. Not to say that none of them ever did use some of the light. Rakata Prime, their planet was very dark side oriented, a te- teeming with life, a very what we would think of as um, kind of a Bahama, Jamaica, Central uh, Central America type. Beaches, crystal clear blue waters, palm trees, foliage with flowers, but it was very... Picturesque, very beautiful. Yeah, but it was very dark side oriented. There were tucatas, there were calf hounds, there were rancors, all these beasts in nature that were very prone to dark side aura. Well, and, and probably the evolved with alongside it. The Rakatans rode rancors. Yes. Like they tamed them and rode them. That that yes, it takes some skill. But anyways, takes some kind of harness. Yeah. Back to the Starforge, it it was harvests stars and powered itself through dark side uh, energy. So that's why Darth Malak was able to power it and Revan and Vitiate, and it basically was utilized to mass produce weapons, ships, everything droids, you could need for war. And they used that. Oh yes. And that is actually where we're going to go ahead and say, I would say that one is probably a universe killer. Oh, uh, can you imagine if Vitiate got his hands on that? Oh, absolutely. The reason he never did was because Malak and Revan turned on each other, and Malak eventually was like, you know what? Screw Vitiate, screw Revan, I'm going to use this for myself. Yeah, but I would say this is not just a, not just a super weapon. This is a universe-killing weapon. If this weapon got into anyone's hands for a prolonged period of time, it could literally produce a drone-run fleet and droid-controlled everything. Just you constantly don't need, pumping it out. Pumping you don't need people. You don't need to train an army. It's nope. created for you, and it's constantly pumping it out. And they were hunter-killer droids, HK units. Yes. Which were programmed and designed to specifically hunt and kill Jedi. Yes. Like... I mean, okay, when you're talking about waging a war against the Republic, what better of a weapon than a droid that's specifically trained and programmed to kill Jedi? And, and designed <laughs> to be resistant to the Jedi. Lightsabers and Lightsabers force and force powers. Exactly. So that's... that's, that's Think of droidica on steroids. God. That's kind of, I feel, the Star Forge is one we don't really get to hear about unless you read EU or play the video games. And even in the in some of the video games, it doesn't get nearly enough attention as in the books. There's a lot of vaguity, which makes sense, you know, when you're putting something on a screen as opposed to writing. Yeah. I mean, you can make a 600-page novel, but if you made a 600-page novel, a movie, or a video game, it'd be a very long video game. Yes, it would. <laughs> yes, it would. Continuing on... Death Star, I suppose. I think that's pretty obvious, and and probably from a cinematic point, one of the most absolutely stunning mm. achievements of sci-fi. Given its time, it was created by oh, Archimedes. Yeah. Like 
science fiction at that point had already existed kind of in the 50s and 60s. But the special effects of that time period were just, it was outrageous to see something that cool. Yeah. And that well done. But as far as, I mean, I guess we could talk about the, the distinctions between Death Star 1 and 2. We kind of had already mentioned that Death Star 2 was, the laser blasts weren't as powerful, but it could fire multiple times without a recharge rate. Well, and I don't think we ever get told exactly how powerful the second Death Star's laser blasts are. We never get to see it either. We don't get to see it, and I don't think in any of the novels I've read that they actually tell you how much more or less powerful it is compared to the first one. We, I, we, we just know it was able to take out Rebel fleet ships. like In a single shot, no even business. though the Rebel fleet ships had overlapping shields and heavy armor and were modular, they, it ripped through them like nothing. Well, and that's why you, that's why you would see the, excuse me, the Rebel's Navy, the Navy fleet, would, they kind of had like a shield wall because that's how their shield systems would work with each other in tandem. They would their ships. If you notice, they in the overlapped. Films, they're always super close mm-hmm. because you have um, frigates that would come in and take the shots to protect the medical ships and the right. bigger ships. The smaller ships. There were frigates that had ridiculously strong shields. That their entire job was to hover around the capital ships, and then you have blockade runners. Blockade runners. Those were just. Good shields, but really just giant rocket ships strapped to the back of them. And that's kind of how they worked versus if you watch the Imperial ships, they're kind of spread out because of the amount of firepower, both, you know, the the ventral cannons and the dorsal cannons on the ships. Which is one thing that... Let's not get into the crappy design of the Star Star Destroyers today. It's too long of a subject. No, the Imperial ones are fine. I'm talking about Disney's. The uh, the first order dreadnoughts. The biggest no no, is to make a cannon that can aim at the bridge. Oh yeah. So in episode nine, when they turn that cannon back at the bridge, that design should have been thrown out the window because that's the biggest no no in any navy ship design, like in existence. Yeah, that was about the dumbest <laughs> thing I've ever you, seen. You never allow a gun to be pointed back at the bridge or any engine or compartment that would be. <laughs> deemed essential. Even if the gun could potentially point that way, you put in hard stops so that it can't. <coughs> so, Death Star... That's obvious. The Force in general is a super weapon if used properly. I think Vitiate showed that. He, well, Vitiate, Nihilus, I mean, Darth Andidu, like... Tulak Horde. Uh, the Force is Zion. the longest one. I really don't want to get into that. I don't either, but I think we can just throw that one out and be done with it. Of course, yes. The Force. The biggest super weapon of them all. Okay. Covered. Um, I really don't want to say this, but it is considered a super weapon, and it is canon. Starkiller base. Starkiller what? <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, Starkiller breaks physics, yes. I, I understand. I trust me. From the, all the things that Disney could have made with the name Starkiller, they chose base. And what's more asinine is the fact that it's literally a mix of the Star Forge and the Death Star. Um, and there also, was no creative mindset to that. And they all, took the Star Forge star harnessing power and ability to create a weapon and combined it with the super mass laser system of the Death Star. Well, let's also throw out there. Sandwiched the, them together and said, this is Star Killer. We made this. Good job. 
let's also go ahead and throw out there that they sucked up all of their fuel for one shot. They built a planet-sized weapon, consumed the entire star, and fired off one scatter shot that somehow magically managed to hit every planet in the system. Physically speaking, that and would be And it never impossible. killed a star. Never killed a star. It killed planets. It may have been a planet killer, but it was not a star... If you're going to name something Star Killer, it better kill a star. That's why Star Forge makes more sense. It is literally a forge powered, powered by, by a, a star. star. Be it a dwarf star, a blue giant, a red giant. like. Well, and here, here's another thing that I don't understand is how exactly they split a single beam of energy. I was just going into that. At the end of its trajectory. Now, hold on. That depends. Is Did it, they have a prism up there? No, 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 not a prism. I was going to ask, is it photonic? It is doesn't it, matter. Listen, it changed no, direction. No, no, no. It does, and I'm going to. So, is it is it photonic particulates? Is it plasma based or is it energy based? It looked to me. It to looked, me, it, it looked, looked like an, plasma. It could be plasma, but how, I don't understand how that matters. Well, the issue with plasma is then plasma can't necessarily be contained in a singular focus like that. So the plasma would literally just arc out and you'd just have this giant wall of plasma till it cooled. But I think we can go ahead and throw out there that it can't be plasma because it didn't cool and it traveled faster than light. It can't be energy because energy can't travel faster than light. Well, And, and it, it can't, can't be photonic because, because it traveled faster than light <laughs> when well, photons are light. Photons... They're not light, but photonic particles in their... For all intensive purposes. You and I both know if we go down this path... We're not going down that path. (laughs) For all intensive purposes, the only thing that can travel faster than light in a (coughs) sci-fi universe is something with an FTL drive of some kind. A warp drive, a jump drive, a hyperdrive, something of that nature. Or in the Mass Effect universe... Something attached to a mass relay. Correct. So, how did whatever this was, one, travel nearly instantly across the galaxy, two, be able to split apart, split apart and stay on target for several different, it makes no sense, is cinematically, it was beautiful, cinematically stunning, absolutely amazing, Uh, the entire Disney trilogy, even the Holdo Maneuver, cinematically Beautiful. Very pleasing. Aesthetically pleasing. Oh, However, the gorgeous, physics... The ridiculously, physics, ridiculously stupid. Physics-breaking aspects for all of you and us sci-fi nerds out there who know Star Trek and Mass Effect and Halo and how physics actually are supposed to work. I can only suspend my disbelief for so long. The Force, in my mind, is a... It's a magic system. It's a religious system. Well, no, no, it's a magic system. The Force, the the Jedi and the Sith are a religious system. Oh, okay, there you go. The Force itself is a magic system, and I can go ahead and suspend my disbelief and say, in this universe, there's magic. Well, same with Lord of the Rings. But as they showed us throughout all of Star Wars up to the point of Disney, while they did have magic, they also had physics. There were rules and there were physics. And they, they, not all physics make sense. You know, they have FDL drives. Oh, well, but they can. Sus- I can suspend my disbelief on the FTL. But when you start breaking the entire universe's rules, in-universe rules, be it force or any rules, I, force I or lose, physics, I lose my suspension of disbelief. 
So, anyways, I had to put Star Killer Base in there just because canon. It cano- is canonically. A, it it is, is a planet killer. It is a super weapon. Planet killer. However, the physics behind it still unknown and haven't been explained to us at all. And, and won't because it can't be explained. Yeah, I trust me. But um, those are the three that I had for Star Wars. Did you have any you wanted to add? I, I, I was going to put lightsabers in, but then I was like, ah, they're not necessarily... Yeah, they're magnificent and they're amazing, but they're not really super weapons. Because a lot of Jedi died, and if they were a super weapon, they would be on the precipice of invulnerable. The thing that I was actually going to throw out there was the Yuzang Vong's bioengineering. Ah, let's not get into Yuzang Vong. We could I just want to throw it out that. there that the Yuzang Vong had such mastery of bioengineering that they were literally able to grow weapons powerful enough to purge their own galaxy because they're extra galactic. They're from another galaxy, and they literally purge their galaxy of life. That's why they came to the known system to that is, take over. That's, yeah, that's exactly the story behind it. That's why they came to the Star Wars galaxy. So I would consider the Yuzang Vong's scientific knowledge in bioengineering to be a, a, a weapon galaxy-class killer. Well, their culture was derived from chemists, zoologists biologists, physiologists, and they poured all of that to get... They were a very scientifically inclined society. Oh, yes. But once they found out, huh, we can do this, they eventually destroyed themselves, and they're like... And the entire galaxy they were in, uh, including multiple races of aliens. They were so proud of this, but they were upset, so they were like, let's go see what we can really do. Right. Little do they know, Luke Skywalker at the time, Grandmaster... Was like, I-, I ain't having this. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that's all we need to mention on that one because let's face it, if we get into any of these too deep, it could take days. Oh, days, days is so putting it lightly. <laughs> that I think is all I had for Star Wars. As did I. So, in that case, I'd like to move into the Halo universe. Yeah, let's do Halo. I, I found a little bit more through my research and my. You know, my knowledge, the one everyone knows, obviously, are the Halo rings, the Halo arrays. Right. Designed by the Forerunners to literally just... Galaxy cleansers. It was so, it was kind of a fail-safe put in place. The, what they did was, it was, it the rings were designed to not only study and create life... Well, there were laboratories on them. And that's why when you, when you go to them in the games, and if you read the books, it talks about it even more... When when Master Chief goes, he's there and he's like, it's like another planet, which it was. Right. Because there were scientists there creating life and figuring out ways, okay, after we use the rings, how do we start over? Right. Because the rings were designed to emit radioactive frequencies. L- well, literally, a radioactive frequency that would shut and kill let's, the nervous system. Let's living start being. by saying that... The Halo arrays were created as a as a answer of last resort for the flood. They were the forerunners creation, the forerunners being the big bat or the big biggest civilization on the block. Mm-hmm. Uh while fl- while they were fl- fighting the flood for yes, the flood, on the flood. because the flood didn't have central nervous systems. Right. So the Halo rings actually would not have cleaned the galaxy of the flood. 
But the flood is a parasite, so what happens is when the rings were activated, the radioactive frequencies unfortunately kill all sentient life. They kill everything with a nervous system. A central nervous system, not just a nervous system. Well, a central nervous system. Which so, would be a brain and a stem and nerves. Right. Cells. So, so it would kill animals like mammals. It would kill fish. Yep. It would kill snakes. Right. Thus starving the flood, and then the flood would eventually just shrivel and die. Right. And then on these halo rings... That's the reason they were researching. The librarian was researching development of recreating life. She took samples from well, nearly every species she could find. That's what I meant by recreating. It's like the Noah's Ark tale, essentially. Right. The Ark is where they created the rings. It's kind of like a docking station. The Ark is that big flat thing. What big flat thing? What are you talking about? The Ark is the, the installation that was used to create the rings. It's a large... It's not flat. That's the wrong way to call it. But essentially, it's the like arc a The Ark is where Master structure. Chief went to shut down all the rest of the ring. Yes. That's what the Ark is. Yeah. Um, well, through the course of time, 11 of the rings were actually destroyed. And there were, there were 18 in total. 11 were destroyed. And 7 were what remained, which is actually the 7 that you sequentially go through and shut down in, in the Halo game. Yes. And those seven were left under the control of the Forerunners, which you don't really get to see the Forerunners until you get to the Halo 4 game. By far, probably one of my favorite uh, science fiction species, sentient species. Be that as it may, so these these Halo rings, each ring was placed in a certain area of space and now, time. These are kind of unique because the Halo rings themselves are both a super weapon to purge the galaxy of life and also an Oh, a way to salvage it and bring life back. Yep. That's the research and development by the librarian and the builder. And I believe the architect? The, the No, build, the builder. No, it is the builder. Okay. Not the architect. The architect is something else. But these halo rings have a 50,000 light year range. By themselves. One halo ring can reach 50,000 light years. So essentially having 18 of these in all of the known Milky Way galaxy is the reason they could purge all known sentient life simultaneously at the same time. Well, and I believe it would only take the seven to purge the Milky Way. The the rest of the known Milky Way. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So that's pretty impressive that seven things can wipe the galaxy out simultaneously. And the other eleven were destroyed through war, jealousy, Random collisions. The Covenant were trying to take over the rings to use them to their advantage because the covenant were having wars and they were being destroyed by the flood and their the uh gosh who was that um when the when you play as the arbiter in halo 2 and you have to go back through they say his name in the books and i cannot remember one of the scions of the covenant oh okay one of the leaders he basically goes mad crazy and he's like hope was it no he goes mad crazy, and he's like, we got to take over the rings. The Flood are going to kill us all. The Prophet. The Prophet was his name. Well, no, the Prophet <laughs> was his title. There was the Prophet of Hope. He wasn't the Prophet of Hope. He was he was one of the prophets that basically went you know, mad crazy and decided to take over the rings to use them to his advantage. And the Arbiter being punished for his crimes, they send him to go kill the Prophet. Right. And uh, it's just, it's a really good story. If you haven't read the Halo books, read them. 
You need to be more specific. There's a ridiculous amount of them. Well, I would stay away from Reach. I'm not a big fan of Reach, but if you read the original books, fantastic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then there's also the Forerunner series, which is by far one of my favorite in Halo. Then you have the Guardians, who were also created by the Forerunners. They were kind of these gigantic metal monstrosities. Just right. Just huge. And they wouldn't kill. They weren't designed to kill assailants. The Guardians were designed to incapacitate. Right. Detain. They were more of like a police deterrent, I guess you could say. And they... Um, the Forerunners were kind of... I don't know. I don't know if I want to call them self-serving. But... Because there were the there were Forerunners who agreed in free will. But there so, were also Forerunners like the Didact who were selfish. Yes. Essentially the well, Sith. They were... I don't think the Didact... There's a lot more nuance there than people think. After he was corrupted, <laughs> yes, he was evil. But, but his intent from the start was to be... Oh, humans are nothing. Aliens are nothing. Very xenophobic, yes. He, he was, and that's but kind he was of what a led him down that path. He was well, a warrior. Yeah, but that doesn't justify his actions for... He basically tried to turn all the Guardians and everything to his own will to use them as a weapon and weaponize he, them. There's a lot of nuance to it. He was trying to salvage what was left of his culture. He was trying to defeat the Flood, which had obliterated like 90% of his culture. He was at desperate times, call for desperate measures, and I can understand that. Um, but he didn't have any foes. He was so like... His foe was the Flood. Anti-Flood, which makes sense because a lot of the foreigners were wiped out by the Flood in the First War, but I feel like his motives weren't clear because the rest of the foreigners were like, no, we can't activate the Halo Rings, the Flood hasn't expanded enough, and his mind was like, well, we either do it now or we never do it. Um, and that's kind of what made me lose respect, at least for for his character, because I think it was more fear that drove his his ideologies than it was actual like. I think it was bloodlust. Well, he, yeah. I mean, his entire life. But he was afraid of the flood. Purpose. Well, his entire purpose was to defend the forerunner. And when he couldn't do that against the Flood because they're the Flood, uh, I think he finally realized that his life was meaningless because he could not beat the Flood. Well, he could have. He could have. Had the Forerunners not built the <laughs> Halo Arrays and went along with his project, which was basically... Create these metal monstrosities. Well, armor-plated worlds that were just so armored... That you could literally have the flood throw themselves at them, but then and you have, nothing would happen. Then you have the Prometheans, yes, that he created, who are anti-flood. Why? Because they were literally powered by a plasmatic particle. Well, and they particulates. Were, they were they were no central nervous abominations, system. and they, they were could... creatures. Um, and I say creatures because some of them were human and some of them were forerunner. Not human. They're humanoid. There's a difference. Um, he he created humanoids. They were created, not yes. human because the flood would have killed them if they were human. His whole no. goal was to have anti-flood, an right. anti-flood army. Right, but the Prometheans are not just things he created. They are literally beings that were transformed. 
But they, they, didn't, had but they didn't come been... from they didn't come from corporeal shells like humans do. He modeled them after beasts and animals and humans maybe, but they were not humans themselves. But either way, and one of my favorites, the plasma sword, obviously. Yeah, the plasma sword, that's pretty nice of these guys. So, yeah, those, those are the com the the composed Prometheans. Right. But he didn't actually create he but when he or take humans, the Prometheans were something different. So the the Prometheans or the composed Prometheans? What do you mean? You said earlier that he So the Prometheans was just like the royal guard of of the forerunners. Yeah, that's these are what I was thinking of, the composed Prometheans. Yeah, those aren't the same ones. I was thinking of that. That's why I was like, what are you talking about? He didn't create That this. was driving me nuts. So humanoid, yes, as it stands, so, I was correct. So the armager is what I was thinking of for the humans. That is what a human turned into when it was composed. Yes. Okay. Those, those are different. So I was thinking composer. Yeah. Okay. Now that that's solved, plasma sword, my absolute favorite in the Halo universe. Pure... Not a super weapon. Pure ionized plasma. It's ionized plasma. Not a super weapon. It's, It can cut through anything. So can a lightsaber. That wasn't a super weapon. A lightsaber weapon. cannot cut through anything. Oh, for all intensive purposes. A pure energy blade from a crystal is different from ionized plasma, the fourth state of matter, which would cut through Beskar. It's still not a super weapon. In the right hands, it could have been. No, because you can't cut a planet in half with it. Oh, well, I mean, maybe you could, but it's going to take a while. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you get to the first ocean, you're going to have to sit there for a while while it evaporates. But now, now here, here's my headcanon. Who's to say they couldn't create a giant weapon based off of a plasma sword? That but could that why? could raise the surface of a gas. Well, they had glassing. The Covenant used the glassing technique with but, lasers. But, but why would you do that? The, the power draw on that would be prohibitive at best. The Covenant were <laughs> masters of plasma-based weapons as it was. The Covenant wasn't masters of anything. They stole most of what they had from the Forerunners. No, they didn't. Yeah, most of their technology was Forerunner. Gee, I wonder why. My point is, they weren't masters of creating anything. They were masters of adapting other people's yeah, technology. Yeah, I wouldn't say adapting. I would say manipulating. Because they kind of took it and... I don't know that I see a difference at that <laughs> point. If you look at the Forerunner saga, like the, the saga, the, the books, the Covenant doesn't have on the Forerunners. Well, no, because the Forerunners have been around since the dawn of time. And the Covenant came around and... <laughs> long, long time. I think it's in the millions of years. Uh, yeah. Um, and so when the Covenant finally comes along, the Covenant basically finds Forerunner tech and makes cheap imitations of it. Like, let's throw out there that if... Like the Chinese cheaping Russian weapons. Oh, not even close. <laughs> not even close. It'd be even... It would be like if... Somebody took an AK and made a copy of it that <laughs> instead of powering it with gunpowder, it was powered with rubber bands. Like, it's that cheap. Like, okay, so the Forerunners, if, if one elite had a Forerunners middle-of-the-road armor... Imagine if the Arbiter got his hands on that. If the Arbiter had a run-of-the-mill, middle-of-the-road Forerunners armor set... Arbiter. He would have smoked Master Chief like Master Chief was a was a mm, child nope. in a tin can. Not in not in Spartan V six armor. Child in a tin can, dude. Nope. Child in a tin nope. can. 
he would have ripped him in half like it was nothing. Nope. The Forerunner armor set, if you read the books on the Forerunners... I have. It, it is all of them. so ridiculously advanced. <laughs> but you realize that the, the librarian chose the Spartans on purpose, and when the Spartan program was created, there's a reason that you have the different marks of armor tiers, because if you read the books... Or you play the games or watch the, the... Wasn't there like a TV show or something? I don't know. I don't know about the TV show. Either I, I'm way, not a huge fan. When you get to Mark VI, armor is the strongest... Stronger than Beskar. The yes. amount of beatings that Master Chief took when he was yes. fighting the Didact. It's ridiculously good. He would stand his own against the Arbiter. But peak of his power doesn't even come close. Okay, at... Peak of Forerunner power. They could literally mold the galaxy. They could move planets, uh, planetary systems. They could move stars. They could move black holes. They could collapse black holes. Yeah, that's how they harnessed a lot of their power. They literally were a tier... Oh, I don't remember if it's three or tier four civilization. Tier four civilization? Yeah. When you can master the entire energy you of can, a galaxy. You can, no, not energy of a galaxy. You can master the physics of the galaxy. Okay, that's what it is. Um, and so they were literally the highest They were seen tier. as gods, yes. essentially. So a Mark VI Spartan armor, well, it's impressive, and it is the greatest that we've ever been able to manage. In the right and, hands, too. And in the right hands. But the simple fact is that at the height of the, of the forerunner power, when they had the most technology... Not a chance. I don't know. He held his own against the Didact, so... He did. Just saying. But that was a lot of plot armor, not Mark VI. Anyways, the last one I want to talk about was the Mac gun. The Super Mac. The Super Mac. Basically a giant... Mass accelerator... No, magnetic accelerator cannon. Magnetic accelerator cannon. Basically a gigantic rail gun on steroids. Built into a ship in space the size of... Several dozen football fields. Dude, it's not even funny. And mounted in the ship like the minigun on a on an A ten Warhog. So if you're comparing it to a dreadnought, I'm I'm I wrote this down because the mathematics behind this the statistical analysis was what drew me, right? So obviously we know the canon, we Nerd. know we know the lore, but I was like, you know what, I wanna do some math. It's a the Mac round weighs six hundred tons. Yes. Okay. It fires at 4%. Can you put that in perspective of us? What would weigh roughly 600 tons? 600 tons? Okay, so at least what comes to my mind would be... A, a, a fairly large bulldozer, for, for anybody wondering, weighs about 30 to 40 tons. If that, if it's in the like, mining field. Like a D7 cat weighs about 30 tons. How about a D12 cat? Right, right. So I'm just putting it in perspective that a lot of people have seen bulldozers on construction sites around their town or their city. 600 tons would roughly weigh as much as the Christ the Redeemer statue in Brazil. Just a little bit less. Which is about 700 tons. So imagine lobbing that at somebody. That's, that's and my you're point. not just lobbing it; it's traveling at like four fractions of the speed of light. Four percent the speed of light. Let me finish the math before right, you get all, all right, crazy, because right, right. you want to contradict me. Six hundred tons firing at four percent the speed of light. A dreadnought cruiser fires a twenty kilogram slug 
at 1.3% the speed of light. So a 20 kilogram slug compared to a 700 ton projectile. Yeah. Firing faster. That's that's a like comparison. Three times as fast. The the but the difference would be the firing weight. The the dreadnought can fire multiple rounds. The Mat gun has a very long recharge rate for obvious oh, reasons. Yeah. Right, you're firing a six hundred ton you know projectile through magnetism and you're emptying every capacitor you've possibly got to pull that <clears throat> off. So what blows my mind is is that the impact from this from this six hundred ton projectile can essentially create an aftershock and damage to that of an asteroid hitting Earth. Oh, it, it would tear right. And at that speed, I would guess it would tear right through Earth. 4% the speed of light. Right. That's that's re- that's absolutely ridiculous for any railgun. Obviously, this is time in the future, right? Halo takes place hundreds of years in the future. My guess is that would, that would <laughs> rip the Earth clean apart. It would go in, and if not completely it, melt halfway through the core it would go out the other side of earth i don't think it has to go out the other side because even if it does melt at the center first of all it's traveling too fast to absorb all that much heat second of all even oh, if I it mean, absorbs the the, the the friction of the crust the mantle the inner mantle and the core even if that the has friction the effect would slow it down even if that has the effect it's still going to hit the crust and go into the mantle, and that energy has to leave the Earth somehow. And oh, it's it, would va- look it would like, vaporize anything in its path. Oh, it's going to look like a cannonball hitting a meat suit. And the way it, it's the way just it going to spew lava out the backside of the planet. Yep, the way we know physics is the the exit is always bigger than the entrance when it comes to force applied, right? So when the projectile hits Earth, smaller hole, aftershock, right? That's right. When, that's when the damage is crater. But out the back end of whatever planet it hits, that's when you get the continuation of force and momentum. That's where you'd see the bigger explosion. That's like running it into the mud and just gunning the engine. Just keep going until you can't go anymore. But those, those are the Halo ones that really fascinated me. Probably one of the coolest super weapons we're going to talk about today is the Super Mac. <coughs> just in my mind, because it's actually theoretically possible. Well... That it is, and the fact remains, it was created by humans, which makes it even cooler. Well, that's true. <laughs> it wasn't created by the Didact or the no Forerunners or the Cup. No, it was strictly human bioengineering. And anyways, um, kind of similar to that would be getting into the Mass Effect realm of things. I only really found a couple of super-esque weapons that really piqued my interest. Mass Effect doesn't have a whole lot of them. It doesn't because it's, it's again, it's kind of set in a time like Halo, but instead of having super, you know, powerful beings who are essentially deeming themselves as deities, in Mass Effect, you have everyone's, like, the same, right? It's one giant galactic government well and a lot of the technology is built um off of the same technology a lot of the uh the faster than light a lot of the travel of the technology of different cultures in the mass effect galaxy is built off of the mass relays and the technologies of the mass relays and it's set in a time where unlike halo and star wars and star trek mass effect is set in a time where each culture works with each other 
Yeah, it's very peaceful. So not only is it peaceful, but the weapons are designed together. Yeah, each planet and each race has their own designated. Variant. Right. But they share all that knowledge with each other. Oh, yeah. Very uh, Star <clears throat> Trek uh, Federation-esque. I would say similar to Federation. And from Star Wars, I would even say the Rebellion. Because all these different systems would band together and share all their knowledge and their wealth. That's kind of the same They would way. still have unique features, but... Exactly. But they'd use the same tech. And the one that really drew me was the Turians. My absolute favorite race for Mass Effect. I love the Turians. I'm uh, I'm a little bit of a xenophobe. Human is my favorite race <laughs> in every... Except maybe Warhammer 40k. I still like the town no. so much. So the Turians designed the Thanix cannon. Get this. It's a magnetic hydrodynamic cannon. It utilizes You're going to have to run that past <laughs> me. Magnetic hydrodynamic cannon. No, no, no. Explain. Explain. Okay. First of all, I'm going to explain what it is, and then I'll go into what it is. So the Turians are a very scientific, bioengineered, very culturally scientific inclined. Okay. Right? So they're all engineers, but they're also wars. They received multiple commendations by the Citadel for defeating the Krogans. Okay. In one of the one of the Krogan wars, the Krogan Rebellion wars, they were absolutely phenomenal. It's a weapon that is capable of destroying. You remember the Collectors, I'm sure. Yes. Geth and all those other. They could destroy Collector ships with repeated blasts. The reason it's magnetically hydrodynamic is because the the core of the weapon it's a liquid core the projectile is liquid okay the core is liquid how's it contained iron uranium and tungsten how is that liquid contained the electromagnetic field then you have liquid uranium and iron around it that would give it the the tungsten would act as the projectile force through How the did magnetics. they liquefy it? What do you mean? Superheated. Okay, because here's a problem. Uh, when you superheat iron, it's no longer magnetic. What does it turn into, Phil? Plasma. Okay. So it's a plasma-based weapon fired with the... Because tungsten has a very high... It's one of the highest heat threshold oh, yeah. elements known to man. Right. So... It's then suspended in an electromagnetic field inside of the cannon until it's charged up and ready to go, which is it's powered by element zero, by the way. That makes sense. Yeah. And then the molten metal is accelerated at, the, at a fraction of the speed of light out of the cannon. As it comes out of the cannon and once it hits, that's, where the project, that, that's what the projectile becomes, essentially. Okay. So to run it back, it's suspended in the electromagnetic field in a liquid form. It's then powered by element zero, shot out of the cannon at a fraction of the speed of light. As it exits the electromagnetic field, it's no longer held in the molten state. It then hardens and becomes the projectile on impact. I guess that would depend to me on the distance between the end of the cannon and the target. Oh, it's a very it's a it's a, it can only be fired from a very short it it'd be it was primarily used from ship to ship combat. And not only ship to ship combat, but Orbital bombardments, orbital strikes, basically to where a distance that the projectile wouldn't lose its momentum and power. That's really ridiculously uh, awesome on the idea front. I just don't know how practical that is. What do you mean? It's it's a 
the ship to ship weapon. Would ship to to planet surface weapon. Right, but when you're looking at ship to ship, you're looking at short distances. Well, relatively, the plasma is not going to instantly cool, uh, and even if it does, it's it's not going to form into a hardened shape. Yes, it will. It will sh- it will form into an item, but you'd be way better off like in. Halo, where you hammer forge it so that it's as densely packed as you can get it, so that it's that much denser. These are Turians. These are some of the most mathematically and scientifically inclined species in all of Mass Effect. Well, I don't doubt that their plot armor covers them in that, but I just don't see how that would work in an actual practical setting. It's really cool to hear about. It, it did work in a practical setting, because a lot of the ship's in universe, yes. I mean, the actual physics just doesn't sound like it makes sense to me. The physics totally makes sense. Wouldn't it be more effective? It's, it's to a just... it's a rail gun utilizing liquid forms of material. Oh, I'm not doubting the effect is expelling the effectiveness them. of expelling a plasma from a rail gun. I'm doubting. I'm questioning not plasma why... liquid form. Well, if it's a liquid, then the iron's not going to be heavily magnetic. So. It's held in stasis by the electromagnetic field. That's why That's why it's such a breakthrough in scientific weapons and weapon engineering. I'll take your word for that, but i, I got to say, and, and maybe some of you guys disagree with me, maybe some of you guys will back me up, but i got to say, it sounds like you're lot, adding a lot of really complicated steps to a process of throw-metal ball. <laughs> you can throw metal ball and do nothing, but if you want to throw metal ball and do damage, you got to put a little bit of math and science behind it. Yes, uh, metal ball at fraction speed of light. Then the Turians <laughs> did that. They were geniuses at it, which they even then turned we their take genius. metal ball, we turn it into liquid metal ball, we throw liquid metal ball at fraction of speed of light, it cools, losing energy, and then we'll go ahead and waste that energy uh, it, because it, it, it cools. It loses energy, it doesn't lose mass. It doesn't lose mass. Um, but And be- if you're close enough, it won't lose all of its energy. It won't lose all of its energy, but I'm just saying it's a lot more... It just sounds like somebody went, hey, I've got a really cool idea for a new weapon. You have to understand, though, how that would work, physically speaking. In space, it's going to work a lot different than if they were in an atmosphere on a planet. As a matter of fact, it's going to cool slower because there's less to radiate the heat into. So it's not going to form into a hardened ball. It's going to hit like plasma. That's the beauty of it. It has multiple effects versus if you were in an ap- actual atmosphere of a planet, be it whatever gravity, uh, I don't know, tropospheric conditions of the planet, it's going to act and behave a lot differently than it would in space. That's the beauty of it. And in fact, it's so beautiful, they created the Phanix missile. Same concept inside of a missile, and when it hits, all the uranium, iron, and tungsten just decide to go boom. And then what? It's not a metal projectile at that point. It's basically a missile that when it hits, it causes its own plosion. That, oh, that sounds so conceited. Uh, Out of universe. From sitting where, are you kidding me? I am dead serious. Why would you do something so stupid as create a weapon that is self-defeating? What do you mean self-defeating? 
Uh, let's go back to the we launch plasma. Okay, it acts as a seismic charger from Star Wars. I'll put it to you like that. Implosion, explosion. So why not just take a piece of matter and a piece of antimatter and put them in a tube and shoot them at the ship? It would be a lot more effective because it'd be a lot harder to hit with with anything that could possibly stop it. And it'd be a lot cheaper, I'm assuming. It's a lot of raw resources to throw into a giant cannon that shoots liquid metal. Philip. Matt, I'm not saying it's not cool. That is that is some of the coolest weaponry I've ever heard of in sci-fi. I'm okay. saying that sounds like something Coming got from the high. 40k guy? It sounds like... Ooh, it's always... Give me a break, yeah. Uh, they're gonna launch superheated uranium, and then it's gonna get hard. That's all I'm saying. It sounds like somebody got high and came up with a really cool sounding idea that has no practical effect. It has enough practical effect to end wars. That's all I know. Yes, it has plot armor. You are correct. Oh, plot armor. (laughs) Plot armor, my butt. You know what? We wouldn't have half of this stuff in the science fiction universe that we have if it wasn't for plot armor. Well, that's not true. It most definitely is true. Star Trek communicators came real. View screens. screens oh, phasers came are real. plot armor. Give me a break. Ah, we don't know that yet. We haven't had. Yeah, time. yeah. Your <laughs> the smile on your face tells me you know as well as I do that phasers in Star Trek are plot armor, and it's freaking you oh. know it. Oh no, 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 no. You know what plot armor is in Star Trek? Tell me. You've got two items. We're leading into Star Trek now. Just greatest plot armor items in Star Trek, and I consider both of them super weapons. The Vulcan neck pinch is one. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Replicators. Oh, don't. No. You strap a replicator like they did in DS9. I know. To a mine, and you make a self-replicating mine. Super weapon, right there. Well, because that could then be applied to anything. Oh yeah. Not just a mine. That could be applied to anything. Oh yeah. Imagine Weapons, races, food. Imagine if you strapped a mat cannon to the bottom of the Enterprise, and then let's go with the Enterprise E. Not, you know, <laughs> nothing crazy. So the Patrick Stewart. Yeah. <laughs> strap Professor a, Xavier. Strap a replicator to Mac gun strapped to the bottom of that ship. Oh, my God. And materialize your Mac rounds. Oh, my God. There's no armory. There, there, there's no ammo catch. What about to a Thanax can it just, Mass Effect? It just materializes a round that immediately goes off... At at fraction of the speed of light. Sure. Now, imagine that you have enough charge in your battery bank, energy bank, uh, reactor core, whatever you're using, to run that magnet for, say, 10 seconds. And these things are traveling at the fraction of the speed of light. And you could materialize 50 of them a second. Yeah. You could Gatling gun Mac rounds. <laughs> a 10 second burst of 500, four or 5,000 pound metal projectiles. That's a super weapon right there. Oh, in and of itself, absolutely. And the second one is teleporters. Teleporters are. Red maybe. matter in tube. Beam them down, Scotty. Okay. That's what I was like, yeah. The the beaming sequence in and of itself is completely like like as long as it's not shielded. World so, breaking. So any planet I so one thing I never understood about the reboot of Star Wars is when they use the red matter to if Star you Trek, dri- you mean? or Star Trek, sorry. 
they drill, the Romulans drill into the planet. It takes like 45 minutes or longer. And then they drop a, a droplet of the red matter. Right. From space. That doesn't make... Do you know what I'd have done? Why not just take it and drop it without a drill in the center of the earth? Do you know what I'd have done? Replicated it. Hey, <laughs> Scotty, no, they covered that. It's not replicatable. Scotty, go ahead and pick up the coordinates for the center of Romulus. Beam! <laughs> yep, bye-bye. The little canister carrying it materializes at the center of a planet, and that little canister goes crunch. And when that little canister goes crunch and it touches matter, it creates a black hole. Yeah. You did not need the drill. You did not need to drop it. You did not need to create a weakness <sighs> they, for they yourself. They needed to make it very physically if appealing. you have to break the, the if you have to break the physics of the universe you're writing a story for write a different story just stop right there and go hey ray doesn't have any prior knowledge of the force maybe we should not require her to use mind tricks till we've given her a chance to learn mind tricks Stop it. So, for me and Star or Star Trek, those are my first two super weapons. Red Matter. Uh, or not Red Matter. Teleporters. Teleporters. And... The Replicator. Hold on, my brain farted. Yes, Replicators. Thank you. Of course. I totally lost my train of thought. My my Star Trek, I, I'm going with the Doomsday Machine. Ooh. The, the giant robot ship that basically would just... And what's even more fascinating to me is they, they don't know, or at least to my knowledge, it's never really stated which race created the Doomsday Machine. Uh, it was just stated as a an alien race outside of the Federation. Well, somebody had to create it. I mean, But I don't remember which race that could have been. Oh, you're taxing my knowledge. I don't, I don't know. That's my... I don't know either. I'm taxing my own knowledge. But either way, <laughs> it was... Basically, the Doomsday Machine was created to harvest planets for resources. Be it fuels, timber, metal, any kind of Grind elemental up resources. A planet and process it. Exactly. I mean, hello. Oh, entire asteroid belts, planets, whatever it came in path. Whatever with. they needed. Yeah. And it it literally it literally digests these planets. And the excrement from the digestion is all of whatever it didn't resource need. or element that it that it that they needed. Not didn't need what they needed. They harvested what they needed. Right, but everything that wasn't used was just it was just back spit out, spit back out into space, essentially. Which I never understood why they wouldn't just collect that for future process processes that may need it. Because if you have that kind of technology, why not just break it down to the atoms and. Well, well. Then you'll have a bay for hydrogen and a bay for helium and a bay for oxygen and a bay for silicon and. But still, think about it. You you can go to any planet you want, of anyone you don't like. You good, bro? Yeah, just got my funny bone. <laughs> I was like your face. What the hell? Okay, so basically, the Doomsday Machine could go to any planet of anyone that they didn't like, and just appear out of warp and be like, oh. Yeah, we don't like this planet. Oh yeah, harvest. Like, you're not. You're. You don't exist anymore. You can't stop it. 
Oh yeah. And then imagine replicating it. Oh. Replicate <laughs> your face right now. Oh. Replicate well, the Doomsday Machine. Well, the Federation basically made that a moot point. There was no real reason to have that machine for the Federation because. One, they had replicators. It wasn't a Federation machine. It was built right. outside of the Federation. Right. It was built outside of the Federation, and it was necessary for that culture, whichever culture I'm sure it was. I honestly, dude, it's starting to bug. I don't me know that they. I don't know that they ever said what they didn't. That was that's what I had said originally. They they never truly stated. Oh, that'll irritate you. I, it is. It's already <laughs> irritating me because I'm not. I love it. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, my face. Oh, I love when they do when they drop mystery nuggets into Star Trek. But what we do know from the lore is that the Doomsday Machine actually... Planet Killer. No, it, it destroyed the planet of the race that created it. Really? Yeah. So is it AI-controlled? Uh, I don't, I don't want to say AI-controlled. I think there was a core that was basically just set, and what happens is devours planet, continues on to space. Finds new planet. Finds new planet, finds new asteroid, finds new culture, devours. So it was core run, and it just... Kept so, digesting and fueling itself throughout all. So of they space. just sent it out to look for resources, and it consumed them. It's essentially yes. Oh, geez, that's cool. But that's why it's bugging me to know the 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 race. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's it's nice to have mystery in Star Trek every once in a it while. It is, and a lot of Star they Trek always explain things so well. Nuance they do, but that's that's at least my that's. I was going to go into the Borg Cube, but I'm like, I could spend a whole episode on the Borg Cube. In an I think the Borg themselves well, are the potentially queen and, oh a super gosh. weapon. Just, no, just the idea of a hive mind that can absorb anything. And then, yeah. And, and what do they call it? They call it... What? what? What does the Borg call the process? Assimilation. Yeah. They can literally like, assimilate anything. Yeah. And anyone. Well, there's a few that can't be assimilated. Um, no. I believe you find that out in Voyager. I believe there's a few races. Is that the one in with the... That f the female captain? Yes. Yeah, ugh, didn't care. I can't think of her name. I don't, I don't care. Ever since uh, Patrick Stewart, after um, not Deep Space Nine, um, Odyssey. Fair enough. I, uh, I kind of fell off. You know, and I kind of liked I kind of liked Deep Space Nine. I didn't Nine, care for Voyager. And I kind of liked Voyager, and I even kind of liked. Now there were some major flaws with it, but the newest one, the Star Trek Discovery, Next Generation. No, 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 no. Uh, the one about when they first discover. Uh, well, it'd be a couple of decades, if not a century, after they discover the FTL drive. Um, okay. It's a, I don't know if it's one or two seasons. I haven't looked recently. I think it's Star Trek Discovery. And it's actually pretty good. There's some flaws that we'll not get into. It kind of, there are some points where it makes the same mistakes Star Wars did recently. The world-breaking aspects. Uh, yeah. It's in there. <sighs> it saddens me that Star Trek followed the same suit. And, and bringing modern-day politics into a futuristic setting. Um... But I think there are some species that cannot be assimilated by the Borg, and I think it is from Voyager. I don't remember episode number or name of the species, but I thought that was an interesting feature. Assimilation to include the Vulcans, I believe. 
Yes, Vulcans they can. Could, Vulcans can be assimilated. So can humans, so can yes. Romulans, so can Klingons. Klingons, yes. So can, I mean, I think we're well over a couple of thousand species assimilated by the Borg at this point. Yep. Not the whole species, obviously, but portions of it. Well, obviously, because the, the other species still exist on their planets. I would say the Borg are a super weapon. And I'm going to go ahead and throw out there, I know we've already talked about it, but red matter... You just literally roll up to a planet or a star and you drop a droplet of this and yep. it creates a, a black hole. Yeah. A black hole that apparently closes itself after a certain amount of time, which is really... Because a black hole is supposed to expand until it essentially... I don't want to use the word dissipates, but for layman's terms, I'm going to say just dissipates. It literally just expands until it, it expands to the point where it can't expand anymore and it just dis- dissipates. Yeah, um, as far as I understand black holes, and I know there's been a ton of research done recently and a ton of new findings and a like ton what was of the new name map. of that? What was the name of that that young guy who wrote? So that 900,000 code of, uh, and they're like, oh, it wasn't the woman. It was that young kid who wrote 850,000 lines of that code. Yes, um... So recently, there's been so much going on in the in the studies of black holes. Like we finally got our first photograph of a black hole. That's what I mean. The code for that yeah, photograph. I can't think of his name. That young boy who wrote eight hundred fifty thousand lines of the nine hundred thousand line code. Yes. Um, and they didn't credit him at all either, which really ticked me off. You know, it, it, I. Not I to get hope, into the politics of things. Well, but, the simple fact is, we'll never hear about her again. And we will definitely hear more from him again, because he was smart enough to do it. (laughs) I mean... So, if you're not smart enough to hack it, we won't hear about you again. And if you are smart enough to hack it, you'll make new discoveries, and I'm all for it. Um, So, I don't know where the common... Or the, the common... I don't know where the modern understanding of black holes is i remember what they taught me in high school i remember what they taught me in college yeah likewise i have no idea where it's at right now that was 10 years ago at the earliest so college was six years ago for us dude uh yeah but i only took one class in college that even touched on astronomy or astro uh, so don't say astrology you can get out of here with that I was going to say uh, astrophysics. Okay. Uh, I didn't take any of that in college, and the last time I dealt with black holes was in, like, high school physics classes. So, yeah, it's been a while, and I'm guessing it's way out of date. Um, just throwing that out there that I have no idea how they work, but I'm pretty sure they don't just blink out of existence. No, they don't. They have to expand to a point where they can't expand anymore. So, again... Another place, but then you have you have black holes, you have super black holes, you have massive black holes. holes. It's just it's ridiculous. But either way, binary black holes. I want to see one of those. Red matter. Yeah, the fact that you Uh, have a little droplet that can create a black hole in and of itself is just insane. And then as a final super weapon, the Genesis missile. The Genesis. Yes. And, And I know it's not meant to be a super weapon. It's supposed to be. A utopia creator. You take a barren rock. Yeah, but in the and, wrong hands. But you take a barren rock and you instantly turn it into a verdant planet. Now, not instantly, but near instantly. Um, the reason I claim it as a super weapon is because 
I think it was in DS9 that they used a modified version to, and I could be wrong, it's also been about six or seven years since I watched DS9 through. I think they used a modified version of the Genesis missile to make a planet uninhabitable for one race, but habitable for another. Mm -hmm. And I think it was uninhabitable for the Maquis. Yeah, it was a, it was inhabitable a, for the a selective elimination process is basically yes. what the genesis was. Um well it was in that case. Uh well, I'm it, I'm saying it could be used and modified for that purpose. So I'm just going to go ahead and throw it out there that that could be literally used to eliminate any race species. It could be used to eliminate the Romulans. Just go up to every one of their planets and just I really love the Romulans. They're probably one of my favorite. Or do you want to make the Romulans country. stop attacking the Federation? No. Hit every single. I hate the Federation. Hit every single <laughs> Federation planet with a Genesis missile designed to leave the entire environment alone, except make it hypertoxic to Romulans. Yeah. And the Romulans have no reason to expand into uh, Federation space. I'm just kidding. I don't hate the Federation. I, I just, do. I really, I really appreciate the Romulan species and all the hardships that they've had to go through throughout all of the Star Trek universe. I, I'm not gonna Klingons, lie. Klingons eh, Klingons can blink out of existence. I wouldn't really shed I, a tear. I'm I'm <laughs> not gonna lie. I really don't like the Federation all that much. Yeah, but you're always anti-republic, anti-good guys. I'm not anti-good guys. You don't like the Jedi. No, you the don't Jedi like the are Republic. Cold. They're not good okay, guys. Okay, well, Federation are the same. I guess. Oh, so space communists. Is that fair to say that when you played Mass Effect, did you go Paragon not. or Renegade? I don't want to say. Yeah, you do because I know the answer. You went renegade. Yeah, I'm not stupid. Yeah, you're I tried always you're always once. It was boring. You're always anticlimactic, anti-societal, like versus no. me. I try to ride the lines between both and be as neutral as I can. Now, before anybody says anything, I know that the Star Trek Federation is not communist. Obviously, there are people who own their own property. It's it's a post. It's beyond post scarcity. It's post. What would be after post-scarcity civilization? Uh, societal inclination it's, it's, of sorts. So basically... It's beyond a point where you have to work. Yeah. I mean, you you literally They're don't have to do anything. They're not just self-sufficient. You don't even have to like work to create food. They're self-efficient, I should say, then, in that case. Hyper-efficient. Yeah. I mean, you literally could go to your own well, planet. Well, self-efficient would be bare minimum. They're hyper... They're, they're hyper... Fish. No, they're hyper, hyper, or post hyper scarce, hyper post scarcity. I don't know. They're they're so advanced that literally, if all you wanted to do was move to a planet, never touch anything, never lift a finger, you could live out the rest of your life, fed, clothed, cleaned, and entertained. Because all you would need is a hollow deck and a replicator. Yeah. You don't have to work. They are so post-scarcity that it almost looks like the communist utopia, but it's definitely not. Well, no, because um, communist utopia doesn't work. It, it's, I think it's true utopian because it, it's the part that bothers me with that is people need challenge. People need struggle of some kind, whether it's an internal That's struggle. That's how you grow as a society. Right. Yeah. And so I don't think that the like, look Federation... Look at the Romulans. I don't think the Federation would hold up. I think it would have crumbled. 
Well, the Federation I would compare to... I, I don't know. The... I think it would have fallen apart within two or three generations. That's what I mean. Like so, they... I'm not against the Federation. I just think it's inaccurate. I don't think there's any reason to believe that humans, of all species, could possibly go without some sort of struggle. Now, the Starfleet officers have a struggle. Their struggle is chosen, but a lot of people would not... You're an L-Voyager. Good luck. A lot of people would not choose struggle as proven in our time. And if you make humans it Humans would. Not all humans. Not all humans, but humans in the past have shown that in order to overcome adversity... Yeah, but there's no adversity in the Star Wars universe. Star Trek. Or Star Trek universe. There's there, no adversity if you're not in Starfleet. That's... But, okay, so my point is humans didn't need to choose the adversity because they had everything they needed from the Federation. Right. And and that's what I think would collapse their society. Well, it, that's kind of... It kind of was, which is why they sent the Voyagers out because they're like, hey, go, go find a new place for us to go and mitigate ourselves, I guess. FS up. I, I mean... I don't know. That's why I appreciate the Romulans because all the hardships the Romulans had to go through it just made their whole society and culture so much stronger and there was so much disdain and malice for the federation and not just federation but they hated the klingons too oh the romulans hated everybody but that's because they went through so much crap the federation treated them like crap the klingons tried to take over like the klingons treated the klingons or the the klingons the romulans treated the romulans like well that's what i mean they hated each other i mean they hated themselves like they literally broke apart because they hated themselves so much they made a sect of their people leave and go to Vulcan. But they're such a fascinating race in that they're they're not, a much more nuanced race because the Vulcans are very like oh we have no emotions we are strictly know, logic no, no. we control our emotions yeah right so but the Romulans are like you know what we have logic but guess what we feel love. We feel disdain. I think they're way cooler than the Vulcans. Because they take that logistical aspect and that, not logistical, excuse me, that logical aspect and they mix it with emotions so they can have the best of both worlds. And in some cases, the worst of both. Romulan women were seen to be some of the best lovers. Not only were they smart, but they were also emotional. They were Twi'leks if Twi'leks were smart and sapient and sentient. Not because Twi'leks are not sentient. Twi'leks are nothing but things. Slaves. The planet Ryloth. Well, that's all the super weapons we have for you guys today. If there's any we miss or any you guys want to hear about, I mean, just shoot us an email. Hiveofscummyvillains at gmail.com. If you think we missed any, let us know and we can do an ep- an, another episode or address it in a future episode. Or if you think we're incorrect on any of this stuff, by all means. No, that's not going to happen. I'm always right. (laughs) And I'm never wrong, but here we are. (laughs) So, But yeah, we we appreciate you guys listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in.